0: JAXA Space and Astronautical Science Podcast. Welcome to the JAXA Space and Astronautical Science Podcast. I'm your host, Toshihisa Mikaido. Today, we interview Ayumu Tokaji, a very interesting character who works as an engineer, an administrator, in public relations, and as an actor in TV and movies, commercials, music videos, and more. We get into the discussion about the objectives and points of interest of the Martian Moons exploration mission. We talk about his interesting family life and his wide variety of hobbies, including classical ballet and ballroom dancing. We also get into so much more. Please enjoy. Today, our guest is Associate Senior Engineer working at JSEC, the JAXA Space Exploration Center, Ayumu Tokaji. Ayumu, welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Amy Tokadi. Thank you for inviting me today. Well, thank you for being here. I'd just like to start off the episode by asking, what is it that you do? What is your uh, current position? And what are you working on at JAXA?
1: Okay. um, I've been working for JAXA on the Martian Moons Exploration Project, or uh, MMX Project for short. Uh, I joined the MMX Project about four and a half years ago. And at first, I worked as an engineer, as a member of the spacecraft systems team that uh, developed the spacecraft systems. However, now I'm not working as an engineer very much. <laughs> and I'm in charge of non engineering work while making use of my knowledge and experience as an engineer and uh, living and working in the United States. And I'm currently in charge of three roles. The first one is um, international cooperation. The uh, MMX project is a large scale international joint mission led by JAXA. We received uh, cooperation from uh, space agencies in various countries, such as NASA in the United States, ISA in Europe, CNES in France, and uh, DLR in Germany. Uh, they are providing uh, mission instruments and labor Therefore, uh, my job is to jointly prepare documents for uh, cooperative uh, agreements with each organization to ensure uh, smooth mission progress and hold uh, management level meetings to find solutions to problems that would be difficult to solve by engineers alone. I think I was stand to this task because I have lived in the United States for about 10 years and I am able to speak a little English. That's the reason why I was assigned this task. And the uh, second one is uh, import and export control. Um, as I mentioned earlier, since the MSNX project is an international joint project, so it is necessary to import mission instruments, test and flight model developed by the international space agencies. And also uh, it's necessary to provide the uh, international space agencies with information on spacecraft that are needed for the development of mission instruments. But for that task, uh, there are various laws that uh, must be complied with uh, when moving hardware information across borders. So I need to create a lot of lots of documents required by uh, these laws. But uh, the documents we need to prepare when sending goods or uh, information overseas uh, cannot be made unless we know what they are. So I take advantage of my knowledge as a systems engineer. Uh, In addition, uh, we also uh, receive the hardware from overseas. In that case, we have to pay custom duty and import consumption tax if we import it uh, normally and uh, uh, these taxes are often quite expensive. So um, we request for help from uh, space agencies of each country in advance so that we can uh, import as much as possible without paying taxes. Of course, uh, communication with such uh, agencies is done in English. So uh, my overseas experience is used for this task too. And the third one, be the public relations and outreach. Uh, I'm a a space geek by nature and have (laughs) a strong desire to let as many people as possible know about the uh, excitement of the space development. In addition, I'm actually used to being in front of the camera as an actor. So I think this is why I was also assigned to be in charge of the public relations and outreach. And so uh, for the outreach and the uh, relations, guys, I'm in charge of the MMX project offshore Twitter account and planning the content of the exhibits as the ISA's open house. And also coordinating with uh, outside museum when they hold the exhibits related to the MMX project. That's all for, for my uh, current tasks.
0: Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of things that you're doing there. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Where where should we start here? I mean, there's definitely a, a lot of things that I think people will be interested in there. You, you mentioned that you were also an actor. You're working on the MMX project, which has uh, come up previously in our podcast series, which I think a lot of people are excited about that. <laughs> uh, you <laughs> mentioned your time overseas uh, or that you've been in the United States for a decade or more. Yeah, It sounds like you're doing so many things. I think we're going to get into all of those at some point. Let's start with, you mentioned that you were an engineer and mm-hmm. then more recently you've been, uh, it sounds like you're creating a lot of documents or uh, at least managing a lot of documents. Mm-hmm. Are these mostly sort of legal documents uh, between organizations and, and, uh, and for taxes and everything? Or is, are they more specification documents?
1: It's not a legal document, but uh, it's called MOU or LOA It's a kind of document we, un- we understand what we need to do between JAXA and the international uh, space agencies that's uh, one of the, my uh, tasks of doc- uh, documentation management and other documentation management task is for our export and import control. this is uh, Kind of legally document, ah, uh, required document. So we need to uh, turn in this document to the custom Japanese customs to receive the hardware from overseas. So I think I'm doing the document management, legal document, and some of the understanding document
0: documents to coordinate uh, a project. Mm-hmm. Perhaps do you enjoy uh, making and working with documents a lot? Because I know there, there's some people out there who really like that, a lot of people who find that uh, tedious or maybe even boring. What's, <laughs> what's your take on it?
1: Uh, yeah, I know some people are, uh, doesn't like such a uh, document making tasks. But um, actually, I'm the only people who can uh, make and manage documents for import-export also international corporations. So I'm not uh, tired of that kind of task. I'm in honor of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Do you still do much engineering or is it mostly uh, more document and uh, public relations related now?
1: Yeah, most of my tasks be the kind of uh, administrative mm-hmm.
0: jobs, not engineering jobs this moment. So do you miss working in, in engineering or do you prefer what you do now? I did work
1: for, uh, as an engineer for about 20 years. So I think it's a good chance to expand my uh, job experience. So I accept the manager's uh, request to uh, do some administrative uh, tasks and now I'm enjoying. And then I can, I think I can take advantage of this this type of jobs for my uh, future career.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really good way of looking at it. You know, <laughs> expanding uh, what you do and and uh, the skills that you have. Because yeah. I guess if you'd worked as an engineer for twenty years now, you uh, those skills must be pretty solid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you're going to forget them completely anytime soon. So yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, there there is uh, a lot more I'd like to break down in all of the things that you said you're doing, but first I would like to just understand your your day, what a day looks like for you at JAXA. How is a day organized? And it could be from before you get to JAXA to when you get home or as uh, much as you feel comfortable sharing.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, I've been working for JAXA for four and a half years. So it's uh, my working style has dramatically changed. At first, uh, in the beginning of my uh, career at the JAXA, I usually woke up at 6 a.m., and uh left home at seven a m and uh took a two hour train ride to get to the uh, Sagamihara campus. two hours train ride.
0: two hours yeah, yeah it's too sometimes here really long travel, yeah. time, but that's two hours there and back right yeah, so totally four hours four hours so before we go on, I just need to ask what did you did did you make use of this these four hours?
1: I try to make use such a, a commute time, but I was so sleepy when my from, uh, from home to the ISAS campus and I'm tired from the uh, ISAS campus to the home. So I actually couldn't uh, use of such time use-free.
0: Uh, so you maybe would be mostly sleeping or falling asleep right. on the train? <laughs> yeah, or just uh, browsing the Twitter. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, I think, you know, we didn't have this podcast out at, uh, the, back then. So, you know, but nowadays people, if they have a four hour commute, they can, you know, listen to an episode or two of this right. on the way to the from work. All right. Don't yes. interrupt you. Please yeah, no,
1: on. no problem. Yeah. So, um, so two hours, uh, commute from my home. And, uh, I, once I get to the, uh, office at, the uh, Sagamihana campus, I attended some uh, meetings and did some tasks and worked a little bit overtime and left around 7 p.m. That's previous, before COVID, <laughs> uh, work style. Honestly speaking, uh, two hours commuting is very uh, physically demanding. As my work becomes busier, I gradually started working more and more at the Jaxx Tokyo office in Ochanamis, not the Sagamihara campus because JAXA Tokyo office was only uh, 30 minutes away from my home. So uh, I no longer had to be uh, physically demanding. And so as a showed the uh, situation in terms of both my work and personal life was much better. So honestly speaking, I, sh- if I should be been to uh, Sakamihara campus for a long time, I couldn't uh, keep working for JAXA. So uh, uh, the changing the working location from Sagamihara to uh, Tokyo offices uh, helps me to keep working for uh, JAXA. Uh, actually, um, according to the uh, JAXA rules, it might be, have been uh, problematic to in outside the Sagamihara campus every day for uh, no particular reasons. But uh, fortunately, the MMX uh, project uh, management team never considered a problem. So I could uh, keep working at the uh, Tokyo campus. I've been working uh, at the uh, Tokyo campus just before the uh, COVID-19 uh, state of emergency uh, in the spring of 2020. I shifted to telework and have been work- teleworking almost 100% of my uh, time since then. And uh, since I no longer have to commute, my basic schedule is Uh, to start work at 7 a.m. That would be the time I used to leave home and finish by 3.30 p.m. unless I have a meeting in the evening. So uh, by doing so, I was also able to do my grocery shopping at less crowded time. It's as a part of my uh, infection prevention measures. It has also made it easier for me to take uh, various lessons in the evening such as classical ballet and the ballroom dancing lessons that start at 7 p.m., uh, which I can continue with uh, difficulties. Uh, from that perspective, I feel that work, teleworking is a wonderful way of working that can uh, improve work-life balance. Uh, incidentally, the only time I go to the office is when I have to prepare the documents for the government that require the stamps income of the person in church or what we have an all-hands meeting for the project so i'm considered a very rare character that uh, it is difficult to (laughs) beat
0: well well i'm glad that you were able to make the time to to talk here today yeah (laughs) So again, a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting information just came out. So you, classical ballet and ballroom dancing lessons. Okay. I I need to take down a note to get uh, back to you on that one as well later in this interview. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, for the uh, telework, the um, remote working, mm-hmm. it has, I think, simplified a lot of things with uh, a lot of people's schedules, at least people who don't, regularly need to be physically in an office Mm -hmm. uh, to work there's definitely a lot of negative things that happen because of (laughs) COVID of course but uh, I think there are that that's one of the I mean for most people you could say it's positive because it has opened up a lot of I'd say freedom in people's schedule or Mm -hmm. made it work more potentially accessible to people so Mm -hmm. I do agree that that is you know one of the the good outcomes of you know, the bad situation that we're all in so and and yeah the four-hour train ride i guess now is is technically zero hours yes if you're working from home most days so that is much much better i think do you ever find it difficult to focus though while you're doing telework because i know it's been a big shift for a lot of people some people find it a lot easier to work from home without any distractions, whereas other people find they have more distractions at home or just mm. aren't still aren't used to working from home or whatever. How, how do you find it?
1: Um, I don't find any difficulty to telework working from home because hmm, my kids are old enough, so they don't interfere me. Mm -hmm. and uh, my uh, is also working uh, telework so we can have lunch time together I think what I need for teleworking is uh, the PC and high speed network Mm -hmm. also we have so and uh, I can contact my colleagues by chatting to like uh, Teams, Slacks, any uh, digital tools so I don't think any problems
0: that's good you said your your kids are old enough now how many children do you have i have three sons three sons yeah wow it's uh, how how old are they uh 16 18 and 20 16 18 and 20 So it's a good i guess uh, two years between each right, yeah <laughs> it was so hard when they are young so oh, oh yeah but I now, yeah four old, two and zero that would be really tough
1: Yeah, <laughs> so Two, four years old. That's mm-hmm. the toughest
0: time. Yeah, yeah. My uh my son's two and a half right now. Oh she, it's uh when he can't go to daycare for whatever reason. Yeah, I see. Uh it's uh teleworking could be quite difficult. <laughs> yeah,
1: two years are very acute.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's,
1: it's called terrible two. Yeah, terrible two and
0: horrible three.
1: <laughs> horrible and tears. terrible
0: four. Oh no. <laughs> Terrible comes back again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'm excited for the next two years to see how horrible and terrible it will be. But I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun as well.
1: Yeah. The <laughs> so charity care is a very uh, time limited.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. You should enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We might uh, get back into to that again a little later, too. But mm-hmm. I think what, uh, as a space podcast, I should probably get into asking you more about the uh, MMX, the Martian Moons Exploration Mission. I would like to ask if you could tell me how you're involved in this mission, like what your personal role is, and mm-hmm. if you are involved in any other missions as well, to, if you could bring those up. And then just as an overview for anybody who's not familiar with the MMX mission, mm-hmm you know, what the objective of the mission itself is and what you would personally hope to achieve from this mission, like whether that's knowledge or some increase in technology or whatever it may be.
1: Okay, uh, first I'd like to introduce what MMX is. Uh, MMX uh, Martian Moon's exploration is a mission to return samples from the Martian Moon Phobos. There are two uh, Martian moons, Phobos and Deimos, and Phobos is a uh, larger and closer to Mars satellite. The MMX is scheduled to be launched in 2024, Japanese fiscal year. Its objective is to uh, clarify the uh, ex- existence of water and organic matter as a contribution to the understanding of the process of uh, migration of organic matter and water and they supplied two celestial bodies in the uh, primitive solar system, and to understand the origin of Martian moons, while uh, containing the exploration technology that Japan has cultivated, Japan will investigate the Martian moon as a candidate for a future base for clued Mars exploration. I just read. The explanation. (laughs) Okay, and uh, this is the uh, third sample return mission from a small body following Hypso 2. This will be the first time for Japan to send a spacecraft to the uh, Martian orbit. And if uh, it returns safely from the Martian orbit, it will be the uh, first in the world. And uh, MMX is scheduled to return to Earth in uh, 2029, Japanese fiscal year. It's, it's earlier than the uh, Mars sample return, MSR mission being conducted by NASA and ESA. So it will be the uh, first very first uh, challenge to uh, bring back samples from the Martian sphere. That's the uh, general idea of the MMX. And uh, my role f- uh, for the MMX is uh, start out working as a member of the space system uh, review team. But uh, my role gradually changed I'm now in the uh, Church of International Cooperation, uh, Import-Export Control, and Public Relations and Outreach. I may have mentioned a f- uh, few times that uh, I'm a space geek by nature. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm not a astronomy geek. So I don't get excited, honestly speaking, when people tell me about the origin of life or the new discovery of the Phobos. But uh, I'm so excited about the spacecraft and rockets that were built and launched to make such exciting discoveries over the century. Therefore, through the uh, Merchant Moon's experts MMX, I, I hope to share the uh, excitement with many people and to get more people interested in spacecraft, and also, uh, of course, space, ex- uh, space science and to, uh, encourage more young people to become interested in space development and to consider the space development as, uh, their career. Wow. That's, that's a great uh, idea. And then what I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. The MMX mission, that's, that's definitely an interesting undertaking and it will be the first it's going to bring back a sample from Phobos mm-hmm. so that we can determine among other things, if Phobos was originally a part of Mars or not? Yeah, um, I think that there are two theories Mm -hmm. of the
1: origin of the Martian moons. One is capture theory. The um, Phobos and Deimos are uh, born in far away, maybe outside the solar system, and moved to uh, across the Martian sphere, and the Martian's gravity captured uh, Phobos and Deimos. That's a, uh, one of the captured theory, and other like, uh, theory is uh, giant impact theory. Some uh, small bodies uh, come into the Martian sphere and uh, impacted the, uh, the Mars itself, and then the scattered the materials will be get together again and make a phobos diamonds. So, but we are not sure which theory will be the uh, correct one. So but we, once we take a look at the sample from the Phobos we can find which uh, which theory be the correct one.
0: Here's a a question I'm not sure if you would be able to answer this or not but <laughs> would there be would it be possible for let's say Deimos and Phobos to have originated uh, separately let's say uh, ah, yeah. Phobos was from mm-hmm. a giant impact and Deimos mm-hmm. was actually captured for example. Yeah that could be possible. <laughs> But uh,
1: I think that uh, based on the uh, remote sensing measurement, mm-hmm. I think Phobos and diamonds have similar uh, characteristics. So I think scientists believe the origin of Phobos and diamonds are the same.
0: I see. see thank Maybe you. Maybe
1: we should ask the, uh, scientists. <laughs>
0: So And that will be coming back. You said fiscal year 2029, which yes. I guess is any time before the end of March uh, 2030. Yes. So, yeah, the fiscal year uh, begins in April and ends yeah. at the end of March. Okay. And you said that <laughs> you're said that you a space geek, but not necessarily an astronomy geek. This yeah. is uh, <laughs> kind of interesting because usually I, I think of those things as being either, uh you know, fairly strongly connected you know if, if somebody's interested in rockets and uh space technology space travel often mm-hmm. they're interested in uh what you might find out there but you you're not too excited by i, I guess the even these discoveries that we just uh, talked about now
1: yeah or would that not
0: be entirely accurate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like um, like if we find out uh, whether or not Demos and Phobos were, were from giant impact or uh, the capture theory or perhaps something else. I don't know. Yeah. Would that uh, not excite you so much? Are you more yeah, interested um... in the in the <laughs> technology aspect? Yes, I, I think the
1: technology guy. So um, uh, when I hear the uh, origin of the Phobos is uh, captured, mm-hmm. I say, whoa, but um, I feel more excited when how we can do that, mechanically do that. How that spacecraft worked, I, I see. Yeah, I think it's very much a technology oriented guy. So,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting to have a sort of a line drawn there. I, uh, like I mentioned, most of the time I haven't really asked too many people to sort of uh if they're interested in both technology aspects mm. and the uh, discoveries, but I, I think. I assumed and I would also assume that most people would assume that these are, don't really have a line between them mm. so that's, that's interesting that uh, <laughs> that you uh, lean so much more towards the uh, sort of technological side yeah. rather than the discovery side
1: yeah that's the reason why I'm engineer not a scientist
0: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I guess that that does make sense yeah yeah engineering the, science the process is, right?
1: they have a different language so yeah
0: yeah <laughs> We'll get into your career history in a moment here, but you did mention that you lived in the U.S. Uh, for a while, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you have uh, quite superb English as well. Could you tell me if you have uh, if you'd ever been to any other countries that you may have lived in, and where? Uh, I would assume the U.S., but uh, how did you <laughs> learn English?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I lived in California, USA for about uh, 11 years uh, from the time I was a graduate student at Stanford University's Graduate School of Engineering and until I returned to Japan in 2011. So um, after uh, graduating from the Stanford University, Graduate School of Engineering, I worked as an engineer at, at Lockheed Martin, and then uh, my wife and I have small businesses. Uh, um, actually, my wife is a natural American, and all of my uh, three sons were born in the United States. So they have a uh, both US and uh, Japan. After I returned to Japan, I have been to uh, Philippines. So, uh, not as a part of Jackson's work, but for some uh, other company's work. And also, I also uh, was accompanied with my wife on her business trip to a medical conference in Vienna, Austria, and my wife and I danced the Viennese Waltz in a kimono at the dinner party at the conference, and we uh, photographed and published in the conference journal. <laughs> and I also visited France, Germany, Italy, and the Netherlands on the business and the family trips. Uh, however, since the uh, uh, COVID uh, pandemic, it has been difficult to travel abroad. But I'd like to visit Europe and uh, the places again when the situation comes down. Uh, I think one of the questions is how I studied English. Actually, I've been studying English since junior high school, um, like other Japanese do. And uh took the classes in uh, English at Stanford University Graduate School and worked in English uh an American company, Lockheed Martin. But I still uh, cannot say even 10% of what I want to say in my native language, Japanese. So I'm very nervous about this interview today. So <laughs> I prepared as much as I can. I made a script <laughs> and practiced a lot. <laughs> but, uh, please forgive me if I did not answer the question. Uh, Mikaito sends questions properly <laughs> I need to apologize in advance
0: no 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 problem uh, <laughs> I, I think that your your English is actually very good and if that's 10% of what your Japanese is you <laughs> you must be very very uh, proficient speaker in Japanese <laughs> <Thank> so, <you. laughs> so there's a couple things here that I, I want to uh, ask about before we get into your actual career history mm-hmm. you said uh, that your wife is a naturalized american
1: yeah so she's uh, japanese okay
0: so she was originally uh yeah. japanese but now she does she have only a single citizenship then in- yes okay i guess you couldn't say i feel well. so and uh you mentioned that your wife and you danced the viennese waltz in a kimono yeah. How it, did it take long to, to learn to dance the waltz? Yes, and...
1: actually, I took one month's lesson to prepare for the dancing at Vienna. Wow. Yeah, Vienna's waltz is uh, pretty much difficult, very a rapid spin at the uh, Viennese waltz. So uh, I took, yeah, one month. One month.
0: Yeah. So you, you trained for a month and, and I guess... You were always uh, your your wife and you did this together the yes. the entire uh, training period and then right. the dance yes that's that's great <laughs> and you you also mentioned that you went to Stanford University as well so mm-hmm. there's a I think a name a lot of people have heard so <laughs> on that note uh, could we get into your career history. And including, you know, where you were born, raised, uh, where you went to university, and anything else you might feel comfortable speaking about.
1: Okay, yeah. I was born in a Kochi Prefecture. It's a southern uh, Shikok island, western part of Japan. I lived in uh, Kochi Prefecture I, until I graduated from high school. And I moved to the Tokyo for the university. I then went to the University of Tokyo for my bachelor's degree and master's degrees in engineering. And after uh, receiving my master's degree, I uh, went to into the doctoral program at the same university. However, um, while I enrolled in the doctoral program, I moved to the United States to study at Stanford University College School of Engineering, in California, USA. I, and I earned a master's degree, uh, master's in science master of science uh, after graduating from the Stanford University Graduate School I worked as an engineer at Lockheed Martin for about uh five about five five to six years and then ran a small business with my wife before returning to Japan and after returning to Japan I worked for uh IH Aerospace it's a manufacturer of Ipsum rockets the Epson uh, rocket will be launched in October, I think, uh, this year. I worked for uh, IHR Space uh, for uh, as an overseas technical sales team for uh, satellite engines for about two and two years before deciding to return to academia and return to the Nakazaki Lab of the University of Tokyo as a research student. And while uh, looking for research topics, I participate in the Procurean project. It's an rather small deep space exploration spacecraft launched as a uh, IFSA 2's piggyback payload. While I was a research student, I was invited by the Graduate School of System Design and Management at Keio University to participate in the MicroDragon project. Uh, it's a Vietnamese uh, microsatellite project so um i worked for ko university for about five years and when my uh, contract with ko was about to expire i was asked by the uh, mmx project project manager so i think that uh, he was a uh, pre-project leader at that time and uh, i decided to work on the mmx project which is uh, where i'm now. And uh, our contract with JAXA is coming to an end soon, so please contact me if somebody needs me for the, <laughs> the <satellite> project. <laughs> That's my career uh, overview. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: it's a, a little plug at the end there too. <laughs> That's uh, an impressive history though. The you know, Having gone to University of Tokyo and Stanford University, both Uh, very famous universities, and then working at Lockheed Martin IHI Aerospace, and working at Kale University and all those Mm -hmm. other places is uh, a lot of, and, and, you know, working on things like satellites. This is for, I think, most people, at least, and for me, anyway, this is very impressive. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I think that's, that's very awesome. And And I know you have a, as you mentioned at the beginning, you have quite a wide range of skills as both an engineer, you can do the administrative side of things and Mm -hmm. the public relations. So I think uh, pretty much any company would be, (laughs) (laughs) would uh, benefit from having you on board. So if there's anybody looking for, uh, (laughs) to hire Ayumu (laughs) Pokaji-san here, uh, (laughs) just, you should contact him and ask for his resume but i guess you heard the overview of his resume right now so Mm -hmm. that's uh you know just straight to the interview then (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you said the the contract with jaxa is coming to an an end soon when uh
1: uh within uh half a year
0: half a year and then you you will be separated from jaxa at that point
1: yeah um jaxa the rule prohibited me to Mm uh keep contract uh for longer than five years mm-hmm. so that this year is a five years so i don't have any choice to keep working for jaxa
0: ah i see yeah we i think at jaxa most people this includes you know most positions i would say as it's kind of hard to sum up uh, just mm-hmm. in a few words but most people in most positions are given limited contracts right uh even If they are of extraordinary ability, like uh, like Ayumu Tokaji-san here. So (laughs) most of, actually, most of the people that we've had on the podcast so far are also under limited contracts, Mm. as am I, you know, it's uh, it's just part of how I think um, a lot of government agents and space organizations, uh, or rather science organizations, uh, work with contracts like that. So, Mm. you know, for the better or the worse, I suppose... (laughs) It's uh, it makes things more exciting, but it uh, doesn't necessarily make them stable. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, I guess... it
1: sometimes hard to keep my motivation in the last year of the contract because I need to looking for next opportunity.
0: Oh, yes. In addition
1: yes. to working for current tasks, it might be sometimes not always mm-hmm. difficult.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So do you have anything in mind that you are able to speak about already for a, uh, um, what you might want to do after JAXA?
1: I'm uh, talking with many companies, but I haven't decided which company I
0: choose for the next oh. one. Okay. So if anybody is interested in hiring, yeah, you, they I'm should available. Uh, contact <laughs> you right away so, <laughs> yeah. before you make any commitments. Right. So something else that we brought up at uh, at the beginning of, uh, this podcast here, you mentioned that you also work as an actor and I did do a, a quick check to see some of the things that, uh, that you've been in before the, the podcast. Um, I'm not sure how many, uh, how, how much of your work will actually be known, uh, internationally, but I know that you appeared in the Netflix drama, <laughs> the English title called the, the naked director. <laughs> which was, I think, quite a big hit in Japan, and mm-hmm. and uh, was a fairly well known outside of Japan as well, as far as I can tell. And I think you were in a commercial collaboration for a a company that uh, was doing advertisements along with Spider Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. So it's not not necessarily an advertisement for the movie itself, but uh, sort of a collaboration with the movie, which was uh, was interesting. Uh, what did you do in that? Were you Spider Man? Or <laughs> I couldn't meet a
1: Spider Man, but I I met the, uh, I, I'm not sure I can say the name of the okay.
0: company. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, you met somebody similar to Spider Man. Yes. To say. <laughs> okay. and Yeah. I guess if anybody's interested, they could uh, look up what that what that is and what the commercial is. <laughs> it should be floating around online. On that note, I would be interested if you, um, along with um, mentioning any other uh, maybe famous roles, especially if they may be known internationally, could you please tell me about your your acting career and uh, whether or not you find any overlap with any of the other various things that you've already done, such as engineering, uh, public relations, or uh, documentation and administration?
1: yeah um actually i uh started my career as an actor as a, uh, six years ago wow, Not so long recently. time in yeah. yeah in uh 2016 i guess yeah until then i had no experience in acting at all and so that means i start from zero <laughs> people who know me and my career often ask me why i started my career as an actor yeah that's no doubt it's all started uh, when my oldest son uh, decided to become a Kabuki actor. He's uh, now a uh, Kabuki actor. Wow. Uh, my family is not a family of Kabuki actors. So uh, when I wondered how Kabuki actors joined from uh, outside, uh, surviving the Kabuki world, I'm not sure people know that, but... Uh, the cub is a very family lineage is so important. So I thought uh, they could survive if people, uh, the actors uh, joined from outside, uh, appear in a TV drama and gain popularity and could invite these fans to the theater. At that time, I had no idea how the entertainment industry worked or how TV dramas were made. So I thought that if I, didn't know anything about it, that's the best thing would be uh, to go inside and experience it. But as you know, it's not easy work to get into. So I did some research work and found out that anyone can become an XR. So I decided to start there. So I registered with an agency for XRs and took my first step as an actor. After I registered at the uh, so-called extra-jimusho, extra-agency, I appeared in various TV dramas, TV commercials, and uh, movies, and other uh, some video productions as an extra. And I also had the opportunity to appear in several uh, theatrical uh, productions. Then in the meantime, I became a member of uh, so-called talento-jimusho in Japanese entertainment agency, that I invited me to join. And I had the opportunity to appear in the uh, dramatical re-enactments and uh, TV commercials in roles with dialogues. This means that uh, my career as an actor is not, uh, is longer than my uh, current career at Jackson because uh, <laughs> Jackson's career is four and a half years. <laughs> Their career as an actor is six years. Oh. Yeah. So, um, Before I started working at JAXA, I asked the uh, MMX project manager to agree that I use my uh, paid leave for film shooting because I'm I'm an actor. I'm working for that. And then uh, I joined the project uh, team because the project manager said, yes, that's (laughs) OK. So far, I have not been so busy to use up all my pay leaves, so I have been able to balance my uh, work at JAXA and uh, work uh, as an actors. In addition, um, <clears throat> filming work as an actor has decreased dramatically over the past few years due to the uh, COVID pandemic. So I started a new job, I'm not sure it's a job, but as a, a space uh, development related commentators. Although. I'm still novice commentator but I have uh, commented on the uh, launches of Japanese astronauts Noguchi-san or other uh, Japanese astronauts on crew dragons. I've been in the uh, space industry for 20 years. So I find it very enjoyable and rewarding to work as a commentator when uh, where I can use my knowledge and experience in the space industry. However, I would like to continue my activities as an actor, not a commentator even if only in a very small way, in order to pursue my uh, dreams of appearing in TV dramas with my kabuki son, eldest son, who is, is now Kabuki
0: actors. That's, uh, that's a wonderful dream there. I really respect that uh, you getting into the acting in the beginning was also mm-hmm. because of, of what your son decided. You wanted mm-hmm. to sort of understand what he'd be going through, what he'd be doing, and you uh, changed your career path in some way
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, to focus on, on him in, in that sense. And I think that's uh, a very interesting thing to do as a parent, you know, to, to actually really take action to um, get a, a deeper understanding of what mm-hmm. your, your own children are doing. And, uh, you know, n- not necessarily everybody has the opportunity to do mm-hmm. such things, but I think even you know most people who would have the opportunity probably wouldn't go to the, those lengths, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's amazing that you you're doing that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I'm lucky uh, when I start uh, my acting career, I was not a full-time employment at KO University, so I have some uh, spare time to uh. try extra t- things. so uh, it's, so it's, I think it's a, it's a lucky to do that. If Mm -hmm. if I worked full-time, it might be impossible.
0: (laughs) I guess, yeah, that that would make things a little bit more difficult, especially if you had to commute for several hours each day. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) One thing I want to clarify here, because this is probably a lot of international listeners who may not be familiar with kabuki, would you be able to explain sort of the difference between what a, a kabuki actor is when compared to something like a television or a stage acting uh, in general?
1: Kabuki is originally means outrageous. Kabuku in Japanese. Uh, it is a combination of drama acting and dancing.
0: Sort of like a more involved or a um, a wider skill set than just regular acting, I mm-hmm. should say. And this can be done both in the theaters or on television?
1: Uh, only in theater.
0: So kabuki acting would be only in the theaters, but yep. uh, you said that your your dream is of appearing in TV dramas with your eldest son, who is the kabuki actor. So is he yeah. doing also television? Uh,
1: yeah. Or... I'm, uh, I'm not a kabuki actor, so I can be on the kabuki theater. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So, and uh, I'm not a theater actor. I'm always uh, acting for the the TV or movies, so I'd like to appear with my sons on a TV drama or uh, movies. So That'll I guess be it's my dream.
0: It's easier for a um, a kabuki actor to do television than yes. for a television actor to yeah. just go into the uh, right. the theater and do kabuki yes. acting. That's yeah. right. I guess that makes sense because you can you have more takes on television than than (laughs) in the theater. (laughs) I hope that uh, you'll be able to fulfill that dream someday soon. Yeah. Yeah. Once your other two sons uh, have figured out their paths, (laughs) you (laughs) might have even more you have to start doing too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Two questions there. One uh, regarding your your son's decision to become a kabuki actor, because as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, your you don't have any sort of family uh, lineage uh, in in the Kabuki theater, right. But this is sort of a, a closed uh, more traditional area, kind of like uh, I, I don't know if this would be inaccurate, but maybe similar to like uh, owning a temple or something. you don't hmm. most people don't just suddenly decide, oh, I'm gonna go be a, uh, a temple owner. Uh, usually it's it's passed on from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know why your son suddenly decided this? Like like what led up to th- this decision? Because I, I don't think it's a very common one, but it's definitely an interesting decision that he made.
1: Um, I think the trigger that, uh, that my son decided to become as a Kabuki actor is uh, he took a summer workshop as a Kabuki actor. At a one week long summer school with uh, uh, the elementary school students will, uh, run how kabuki is and make a very uh, short uh, kabuki play. And he, is, he was very enjoyed and uh, he did the uh, uh, main role at the uh, sixth grade of elementary school and uh, as a result, he decided he is going to be a copy actor.
0: So back from the sixth grade, he, he already got that much influence yeah. in, his, uh, in his future career. Again, that's, uh, you know, I, I think a very rare but extraordinarily interesting career choice. And yeah. uh, I'd like to see how that develops before. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And then my question for you is... Um, what would you say that your most famous role is, whether in uh, as, as an actor yourself, whether in, uh, you know, television or music videos or, or uh, movies or, or anything? And this can be the most famous in, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be internationally famous, just something that you think is particularly famous compared to, to maybe some of your other roles. And if you have multiple, uh feel free to to state those.
1: Mm. I think that uh, it might not be famous, but uh, that I have only one TV commercial which I say something. <clears throat> it's an um, uh for uh the Spider-Man Corporation <laughs> TV commercial. That's uh my uh best TV commercials. I am I'm uh my role was an um, uh company director and I did say something for uh discussing how the company doing. That's uh, uh my uh top of top uh T V uh commercial roles in my
0: career so far. And do you have anything uh, for either television or movies that you would uh
1: um, consider well known? I- don't think i have lots of tv commercials and movies but it's very small it's an extra
0: so okay so not you're, famous i guess even if the the show or movie is kind of famous your your role is not necessarily so big in most of these uh
1: and uh and the one other tv commercials i uh i remember well it's uh with uh Japanese tea commercials mm-hmm. and uh, i'm just uh next to the main characters i I don't say the name of the talent <laughs> <laughs> but the main character uh, loved, uh very interest is interested in space development oh. so uh he asked me to ne- be there, so i'm got a very good position <laughs> next to the main character. <laughs> that's That uh, I remember well.
0: That's lucky that. Uh, yeah, it's I was so lucky. Was, yeah.
1: So I I talked a lot about the space development, uh, during the uh, cameras off. So I really enjoyed the, uh, film shooting for that that TV commercial.
0: So I guess there does end up being some overlap uh, in yeah. that way with your with your career as an actor and, uh, in the space industry.
1: Yeah.
0: And as, as you mentioned in the beginning as well, I think, um, the public relations mm-hmm. probably also has a lot of overlap with the, with being an actor as well, being able to, uh, speak confidently and, mm-hmm. uh, freely in front of a, a camera. Yeah. In Japan good. only
1: though.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> I I don't know. I I can't speak uh, very clearly within either myself. So I envy (laughs) you being able to. (laughs) We've been over a lot of so many different things that you're doing as a career. And I'd like to sort of get back into, you mentioned uh, ballroom dancing, I think, and and, uh, ballet. Mm -hmm. And so I generally like to ask the guests also, if they have any notable hobbies that they like to do when they're not busy with work. So including these two things, or what hobbies do you have and, and uh, you know, how do you do them? How do you enjoy them? Can you get into that, please?
1: Okay, uh, yeah. As I mentioned, I, I'm currently focusing on the uh, ballroom dancing and the classical ballet. I've been uh, taking lessons twice a week for both of these uh, activities for the past three to, I think, four years. Total four lessons per week. I'm always try hard to learn uh, ballroom dancing in preparation for twice a year showcases. I'm not yet at the level of classical ballet where I can participate in a performance or competitions. However, I'm not sure you know Dr. Itokawa. Uh, he is known as the father of Japanese Rocket Development. He took the ballet stage when he was over 60 years old. So I'd like to take wow. the ballet stage someday So I'm trying her to take a class cover lesson to improve my skills. (laughs) And uh, if I can find more time than I have now, I would like to resume uh, some other uh, hobbies like uh, horseback riding, tea ceremony, kendo, uh, Japanese fencing, uh, EI, and uh, no singing and dancing, which I have been suspended due to my uh, busy schedule. And uh, so uh, in addition, I'd like to try a uh, Japanese uh, traditional dance, uh, which I've never tried before. And uh, my wife is a semi-professional uh, opera singer. So I'd like it to be nice to learn the, to uh, play the piano so that I can accompany her. There are many things I'd like to do so that I don't have enough time when I'm working. So I need to quit a job to do a lot of
0: hobbies <laughs> <laughs> wow so so your wife is uh is a semi-professional opera singer so she she goes on on stage and does opera in front of uh, uh crowds yeah but uh, not professional
1: so i semi-professional Semi-professional.
0: yeah but it's no, still uh, yeah. extremely impressive it sounds like you're uh your whole family is very talented in uh, <laughs> in the entertainment and the arts.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yes, like that.
0: You said that you also though you do ballroom dance uh for twice a year showcases. Are yes. these are the showcases kind of like competitions?
1: No, no, no. Compe- not competition, just a show that uh the how hard we practice. Oh okay. so
0: it's uh, a uh year. twice a year yes. uh, performance that yes. uh is, is this open to the public?
1: Um yeah, it's uh, technically open to public, but uh, usually the students and the students' uh, parents will come together to uh, watch the showcases.
0: I see. And you mentioned that you'd like to eventually compete in classical ballet competitions as well,
1: or uh, or a stage, or a stage. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there are many uh, competitions for the ballet dancers. It's mm-hmm. called otonarina in Japanese. Are mm. uh, there? And the ballerina, it's combined Otonarina.
0: Ah, I it's called <laughs> <In laughs> Japanese. I, I think these are not only uh, kind of rare hobbies, but I think they're they're very useful because it sounds like they're things that would uh, make you more flexible for one, give mm-hmm. you a, at least a good cardio workout right. and keep you learning new things, new mm-hmm. movements, new skills. So keep your brain sharp. Sounds like yeah. these are are very useful hobbies. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned uh, a whole bunch of other uh, hobbies that you said you'd like to get back to. You said, uh, I think horseback riding, uh, mm-hmm. and then you went to do a tea ceremony, mm-hmm. kendo, iai, and uh, and no singing. I think you said no singing and dancing.
1: Ah, uh, no singing and dancing is uh utai and uh, shimai. It's in Japanese. Oh. I used to uh practice it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but uh, I don't have time to do that.
0: And how about the, so Kendo and EI, I'm uh, sort of a personal interest in this. I uh, I did, at least until Corona hit, I did fencing for a little while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I guess I, I like, uh, I guess a lot of guys might be just always interested in swords. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Were you ever competing in, uh, in Kendo? or or anything or was it more of just a sort of a hobby to uh... um yeah i used to
1: um but uh currently i don't have time and resources to uh play kendo so i want to resume that but Mm -hmm. i couldn't that so far
0: i guess moving forward is you have a lot of things to do
1: (laughs) yeah so i don't have time to work
0: How about the the horseback riding? Where do you uh where do you do horseback riding?
1: Um before uh coming to Tokyo, I lived uh firmly lived in uh Guma Prefecture.
0: Oh, okay, uh, so it was a lot easier, I guess, to get into yeah. the sort of open fields where people actually had horses. You...
1: Yeah, um there is a horse horseback riding club across uh, mm-hmm. to the Takasaki station. So uh all of our family uh ran the horseback riding oh wow did we you, are living in takasaki
0: did you own your own horse or would you no fish, no no uh, no, no. it's too okay. expensive <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> but i guess with all these uh skills i i almost expect you to say that you'd be doing yabusame <laughs> this uh sort of archery horseback riding yeah <laughs> all those those are some interesting hobbies i'd like to see you uh get back into those and hear hear more about <laughs> those but We should probably uh, get back to the JAXA part of things here as well. (laughs) I am kind of interested with, there's a very wide range of of skills that you have, both in terms of career and hobbies. And I was wondering, why did you decide to apply for JAXA initially? And what do you like specifically about being at JAXA now that you are here? Assuming that there are things that you like, I hope.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, actually, um, I didn't apply for the job on my own, but uh, I was uh, invited by the project manager to start working at JAXA as an uh, associate senior engineer. Um, I, was, I think I was so lucky that the uh, timing of the project manager searching for new staff members coinc- coincided uh, with the uh, uh, expiration of my previous contract. Mm -hmm. And as a result, uh, it was perfect timing for me to get my current job. And uh, one of the best things about uh, joining JAXA was the opportunity to work on a large-scale satellite project. Uh, In my previous career, I have mainly worked on uh, instruments uh, and uh, micro-satellites. So uh, I had never been involved in the overall design of the large satellite, whether in uh, several uh, thousand uh, thousand kilograms. At JAXA, uh, I was able to uh, participate in the MMX project from the uh, relatively early phases, uh, starting from the spacecraft requirement analysis uh, through the uh, RFP process to determine the spacecraft development manufacturer to the preliminary design and then to the critical design. And I felt the uh, technical and uh, programmatic uh, difficulties in proceeding with a very large project, especially uh, MMX will have more than ten instruments on board, and it will be uh, it will take a great deal of resources to coordinate the interface with each of them to ensure the uh, consistent design. Uh, in addition, uh, each of the space agencies that uh, cooperating with MMX as part of international collaboration have their own objectives and it is quite challenging to talk with them to work uh, toward a single goal the success of the mission due to the language and cultural barriers and the differences but I believe that this variable experience will uh, very useful for my career in the future.
0: Yeah I think uh, the space industry is, is a very international yeah. industry. And uh, by nature, it probably has to mm-hmm. be. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of barriers. And uh, yeah. previous guests as well have uh, have mentioned that, you know, there there are some, you know, cultural differences mm-hmm. or, or linguistic problems or, of course, um, not even on an international scale, but even locally, you know, mm-hmm. two organizations may have uh, different objectives. And this can be quite difficult to really get everybody on the same page and headed towards the same, you know, overarching goal here. So it, it sounds like you have actually become quite proficient in, in helping, you know, facilitate, uh, getting a whole bunch of people together and then heading towards a, <laughs> a singular goal from both the administrative process and uh, the engineering side as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's impressive. Uh, I think, what you've done during your your time at Jax, already, and it's it's going to be unfortunate, I guess, that your contract might end before MMX <laughs> launches and right. or comes back. But uh, uh, yeah, these the all the instruments on board from all these other organizations, and you know you you are one part of of what's going to make this happen. And mm. That's uh, that's amazing. I, I know there's a lot of people who are probably outside of the field, uh, who aren't, you know, currently working at a, a research industry or a university or a laboratory, but they are interested in, you know, working in, in space in, in some degree. Mm-hmm. And I think it's difficult to put your own personal job down to like a, a single thing after everything that we've been over. You're, uh, you have quite a wide variety of uh, tasks that you've done. So not necessarily your specific job per se, but uh, for anybody who is interested in actually uh, taking part in the space industry as a whole, would you happen to have any tools or recommendations sort of resources or anything that you could mention that people could either access or utilize in order to take part or lo- at least learn more about the space industry?
1: Okay um <clears throat> if space development is my uh, specialty i think there are uh, many ways to get involved uh in this industry uh today uh for children uh, there are uh, organizations such as the young Astronauts club of japan it's called yak and uh Jackson and various other organizations also hold the lectures for children so i think that uh, these opportunities will help them become familiar with uh, space development. For university students, there are uh, departments and uh, labs specializing in aeronautics and space at various universities. So I think it is a good idea to study in such a specialized field. However, uh, this does not mean that only those who specialize in aerospace engineering can be involved in space development. Many people who have specialized in the field other than the aerospace engineering, uh, such as uh, mechanical engineering, electrical and electronic engineering also work in the field of space development. Uh, More point, we cannot promote space development with only science and engineering people. We also need many people with uh, uh, liberal arts uh, backgrounds, such as people who are good at managing money people who specialize in law uh, people who have outstanding language skills and can get along well with the people from overseas people who can draw beautiful pictures and people who are good at communications Uh, in other words as long as the person has a strong desire to be involved in space development he or she can be involved in space development no matter what he or she studied at the university. Even if you're not involved in space development as a career, uh, you may join an organization that builds a uh, micro-satellite as a hobby or a uh, group of space enthusiasts who gather to discuss the launch of a new space business. In the end, as long as a, peop- a person has a passion for space development, there is a possibility to be involved in space development in any forms. So I'd be happy if he or she keeps the incisions to the uh, space development.
0: Yeah, I think that you made a really good point about how, in terms of being involved in, uh, in space development, we do definitely need people who, you know, have uh, skills and hopefully interest as well in, uh, you know, things like managing money and in Mm -hmm. law, uh, linguistic skills, and, and I guess, diplomatic skills. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, not, uh, not everybody who is good at, at the, let's say, either science or, or engineering side of things is necessarily good at getting along with people that in itself is a skill. So, being able to understand that that all of these skills do end up coming together in some form or another to help with the space development mm. is uh, an important point that uh, we probably often overlook. You mentioned the Young Astronauts Club of Japan, uh, YAK, I think you said. Yeah. Is this, do you know if they have a an English version that we could link to as well? I, I probably, I would assume probably not, but... Mm. <laughs>
1: I don't think they have on, this is on for uh, Japanese but yes, I think yeah. they're a similar uh, organization in United States and mm-hmm. in Europe I guess
0: okay so just uh, just wondering in case anybody outside of Japan or who who since this is an English podcast I'm not sure how mm-hmm. many Japanese speakers or or Japanese residents <laughs> anyway would be uh, Right. Uh, listening, but I guess we should probably I'll probably put a link to the Young Astronauts Club of Japan mm-hmm. uh, in the show notes just so anybody who is in Japan listening right. and okay. uh, maybe can understand the website. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll be able to take a look into that. And as you mentioned, yeah, there's there's uh, definitely organizations in other countries as well mm. that mainly. Uh, others for for other languages like english and and uh, whatever and then there's also departments and universities and uh, there's a lot of enthusiasts i think you can look for people who have similar hobbies to yourself and probably get involved with Mm -hmm. the space development even if you don't end up uh, having access to to those organizations Mm -hmm. or universities personally yeah so yeah there's I guess, of several degrees there. Uh, again, this is kind of hard to pinpoint uh, because you have such a wide range of, of uh, <laughs> what we we say that your work is. But uh, the question that I do like to ask often at the end is if you suddenly had a near unlimited budget to put towards anything in your field of work. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's... Uh, Whether you consider that uh, engineering or public relations or administration. I'll I'll leave that uh, to you in the answer here. Uh, What would you use that on? And and I mean, uh, you if you have really a lot of money, you have almost no (laughs) limit to this. So, you know, a trillion dollars or whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um... Uh, I'm uh, I'm not a scientist, I'm an engineer, so uh, there's something I'd like to develop, not research. Mm-hmm. If we can use uh, unlimited money, I'd like to develop a uh, camera, which is dedicated to the public relations and outreach activities uh, on board the s- spacecraft. Normally, uh, the cameras on board the JAXA spacecraft, such as MMX, uh, only for the scientific uh, observations. So the images taken by those cameras are used for scientific purposes first. And for most, uh, it is difficult to release them promptly for the public relations and outreach purposes due to the timing of writing the papers. So uh, if dedicated powering relations outreach cameras developed by, sorry, by the JAXA were installed on board, it would be possible to make the images available to the public immediately after they are taken. And the so-called donation c- camera on board the 2 is a good example of this. And uh, in this area uh, where we can uh, have a 360 degree camera, which is already used in, the, in space. So we can use these such types of camera too. I think that'd be great. To be able to watch MMX spacecraft land on focus and collect samples with a VR headset, I think it's great to uh, watch it. So, and uh, this is one thing I need, I want to do, and the other thing is, uh, I'd like to develop a very uh, large rocket, larger than H3, because the MMX will be launched using the full capacity version of H3 rocket. Uh, it's currently under development. But uh, even with the full capacity HU rocket, the maximum weight for the MMX will be about 4,000 kilograms. The current uh, specific design is well within the range, but if there are a little bit more weight to carry, we'll be able to carry more fuel and we won't have to deal with the stomach hurting mass management. That two things. We want to start. Want to spend money.
0: Mm. <laughs> those are those are both interesting points. There, the the first point that you mentioned about having sort of a uh, public relations centered cameras o- yeah. on board, and uh, then connecting that with something like a VR headset. I think that's uh, that does sound like one of the next steps that uh, that people may want to be taking in. Bringing face development more to the public, you know, not just games, but uh, VR has also been brought to like sporting events and mm. and things recently concerts. You can, you know, get a virtual seat, put on a VR headset, and kind of feel like you're actually at the concert, so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> or or the event. And uh, I think if we were doing this in real time or near real time, anyway, mm. uh, with you know a VR headset and connected to an actual a satellite or, or rocket in space mm. uh, you know this would be experiencing maybe not firsthand but being close to firsthand yeah experiencing space development mm-hmm. and I think that would be an exciting way to actually to look at uh, space development from the outside because often right now we are only seeing things you know as as news articles or mm-hmm or maybe as uh, explanatory videos afterwards, but uh, most people aren't able to get any firsthand experience or even, uh, you know, almost firsthand experience. Right. So, and then the the mentioning the developing a giant rocket that, uh, yeah. I think that really works with how you mentioned that you are a space geek and <laughs> <laughs> you want the, uh, the new technology there. And yeah, I guess that... You would be able to carry a lot more fuel if the rocket was uh, was big enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just uh, generally speaking, uh, the mm-hmm. spacecraft is the same as a human. It's easier to get weight.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. I, I know people, this too. Uh, scientists,
1: uh, want to get more scientific data. So they want to improve, but they, uh, their instruments get heavier. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing happens all the way. So, if we can uh, send, let's say, five thousand kilograms to Mars sphere, uh, we can accept their uh, suggestions proposals. But uh, currently, four thousand kilograms is a kind of limit, hard limitation. So mm-hmm. we don't, uh, we can't accept these proposals, and uh, we need to uh, diet the spacecraft mm-hmm. to, to keep the uh, weight even more, we need to reduce our weight.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it is unfortunate. I think that a lot of often very great ideas and often already, at least to an extent, complete products or inventions that Mm. could be sent, you know, into space or, or to the moon or Mars or wherever the target may be, uh, end up having to be turned down due to limitations, such as the weight, as you mentioned. Mm. And, uh, you know that's why, especially you know a lot of the the heavier items that uh, that you'd want to send, that yeah. uh, that are able to potentially make uh, groundbreaking discoveries end up getting turned down. So yeah, yeah, being able to make a a larger rocket that would be exciting to see as well the right. launch of uh, such a huge rocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's uh, that might be your actual what you're actually looking forward to the uh, the rocket there. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I guess if anybody out there is looking to invest in something like this, you can contact uh, Ayumu (laughs) Tokaji and talk it through. I think the the, uh, idea of sort of uh, bringing the VR headsets and uh, space development into a single thing, it it could be monetizable as well. Sounds Mm. like a potential room for business there. I'm not... uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what the market is, but it sounds like something that people could look into. So, just one final question. I know mm. you're very busy, and I've already taken up a lot of your time, <laughs> no, and really. I apologize for that. No um, problem. I just like to end the podcast by asking if you have sort of any piece of interesting information that you'd like the listeners to think about once uh, they're done listening here, and and this related to space or your your field in some way this doesn't necessarily have to be technological it doesn't necessarily have to be a proven fact but something that you think that you you personally think oh this is this is interesting this gets me thinking about space all the time uh if you have anything like that that you could share with with us <laughs> um
1: this is uh, definitely mmx is the one thing we want you to focus on uh, MMX is under development aiming for a launch in uh, 2024 Japanese fiscal year. And then after the launch, it takes a uh, one year to get to the uh, Martian sphere in 2025. And then take three years to make a measurement and uh, deciding where to land and get samples. And we try twice uh, to uh, land on Phobos and get samples. And then in uh, 2028, uh, MMX will leave the Martian sphere and get to the earth in 2029. Now, uh, They're very uh, long project we haven't uh, launched yet, but uh, we'd like you to keep interest in the, uh, the MMX project. So as an outreach uh, guy, I'd like uh, to try to provide as much as information as possible. We appreciate your continuing support. Uh,
0: thank you. That's uh, <laughs> thank you. yeah, that's a, a great <laughs> message, and I think uh, that is something that m- probably most people who have been you know, watching Jaxo or are excited about uh, what Jax is doing mm-hmm. have uh, heard about, or at least would uh, have some interest in the MMX mission due to. The, the nature of the mission itself, what we're trying to find out, mm-hmm. uh, the technology that's involved in it and everything going into that. And I think, yes, uh, Ayumu Tokaji-san will be uh, updating, I guess, the, the Twitter and uh, yeah. a lot of the other information around the MMX and mm-hmm. helping with a lot of the uh, public relations related to that. So you will probably see his work uh, going forward. And we're all excited for the launch coming up in, uh, in 2024 fiscal year, 2024. So it could be March up to March, 2025. It's kind of confusing like that. <laughs> but yeah. So the MMX, uh, yeah, we'll also put a link in the show notes to uh, information that we have on the MMX from JAXA. And, uh, please check that out. If you're interested. Once again, uh, Ayumu thank you so much for coming on the show today. And, uh, sharing your valuable insights on administration, engineering, on uh, public relations, on space development, and uh, so many of your life stories as well and your acting history that's uh, you're a very interesting person and you know I uh, I really enjoyed talking with you today. I hope we can chat again in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much.